friends, welcome to this only or maybe first episode of the Late to the Party Ballet podcast. I'm Patricia and I'm the founder of uh, the Late to the Party Ballet blog for uh, adult ballet dancers. So I started taking classes with Evelyn Hart a couple of months ago and you can read the full story of how that came about on in one of my recent blog posts. So right from the start, I... I realized that I really enjoyed talking to her beyond the ballet that she was teaching me. I was dying to ask her more questions, but despite all the COVID closures, our schedules were still packed and there wasn't just much time around classes to chat. But because I felt like her story and also her take on technique offered so many gifts, um, I thought, why not ask her if we, if, if she would be up for a conversation that we could share with others? She graciously agreed. And so here we are. Evelyn is considered one of Canada's most famed and accomplished ballerinas. She started dancing late when she was 14 And she joined the Royal uh, Winnipeg Ballet when she was 17 and was promoted to principal dancer four years later. She won the gold medal at the International Ballet Competition in Varna, Bulgaria at age 24, uh, upon which she started touring and guesting and for the first time diving into lots of classical repertoire at an unheard pace all over the world. What sounds like a prodigy type Uh, of journey uh, is actually one but it is to a large extent also a story of rejections overcoming limited turnout and dealing with lots of stage fright and self-doubt but it is also a story of incredible grit perseverance and incessant drive to research and figure out ballet technique from the inside out and an exceptional musicality and artistry that would become the key and cornerstone to her remarkable career. Evelyn now lives in Toronto and is a sought-after coach, teacher, and mentor to professional dancers and pre-professional students. She is a companion of the Order of Canada, a fellow of the Royal Society of Canada, and has received a Governor's General's Performing Arts Award for Lifetime Artistic Achievement. We talk about how long it took her to overcome her late start. Uh, spoiler alert, it um, took her a long time. <laughs> uh, and what advice she has for adult beginners who struggle with what I call the late start shadow. Um, we talk about what kept her going after being rejected from the National Ballet School three times. Uh, we dig into her take on pelvic alignment for exploring full turnout and hip joint rotation, why she chose to dance in point shoes that were soft as socks, as she refers to them, the role of musicality in fundamental ballet technique, um, and uh, we also talk about how she would start working with an absolute adult beginner And uh, also we talk about the gift of being uncompromising in any kind of pursuit in life. For me, this conversation unlocked a whole new self-perception around being a student and dancer who started ballet late in life. Hearing from someone so accomplished 
that really you can create at any point in your life, no matter at what age you started. Um, that was like getting a fresh infusion of purpose into my daily ballet practice. Um, I hope you'll get that too and uh, much more beyond it from this conversation. Please enjoy. So first of all, welcome to the show. So um, it's nice to take a bit of time and really dig into a few questions that have been on my mind. And I think it's going to be so amazing and valuable to share this with others because I know that um, some of these questions are just so common, especially for people who started late. So yeah, so I'm very excited. Thank you for taking the time. My pleasure. Completely. I, I, the problem is when I start talking about dance and I start talking about technique and all these things, I just, I don't stop. <laughs> well, wonderful. That's, that's the time for yes. that. <laughs> because it's so fascinating. And what makes it so fascinating is that it's so blooming logical. Mm -hmm. It's so logical. And when you start to realize that, you know, especially if you've started dance young um, and then, you know, and you come back to it and you start realizing that, oh my goodness, there's, there's such a logic that, that I think it's possible to teach it. I don't know if it's possible as a young dancer to get it, mm -hmm. but it's, it's, it, it gives you such an understanding of your body. And so it translates everything that you learned. Like what, mm -hmm. when I discovered this, I, I realized that it's, there's, you know, most dance is taught the, from a neck, say if you looked at a, a negative, most dance is taught from the black part of the negative. Mm -hmm. And yet there's a whole other side which makes the negative possible, which is the white part. Mm -hmm. And what happens is that when you start to say, okay, actually, this isn't actually changing what you know about ballet, but it's actually mm -hmm. looking at it from a completely different viewpoint. So I was working yesterday with a, a few of the <clears throat> young dancers and we were talking about, um, say, for example, jumping. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, it's just a different, it's just a different way of looking at it. Mm -hmm. So you look at jumping, instead of trying to jump up, you you push down against the floor. Mm -hmm. And so it just changes it. But actually in reality, it gives you a better line, a smoother quality of movement. It gives you more power, it gives you more control, and you're likely not to get injured, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Because the body, yeah. is functioning. the body is functioning in its natural state. Yeah. So maybe let's um, start with a general, yeah, maybe starter or teaser for this for this conversation because I would love to dig into your personal story and how you discovered these technique shifts, I would call them, over the time of your career, but also after as you were as you started teaching. So I'm I'm wondering, I don't know if this question is going to work, but we can try. Yeah. <laughs> if um, if uh, let's say. Uh, 20-year-old Evelyn, who just uh, started working uh, or just joined the company, um, had today's Evelyn's knowledge. Um, how would her training would have looked different back then? You know, you, you don't have to go into detail, maybe three things that would have looked different in your everyday work. Are there well, such things? Well, I think if I was 20 and I had been trained this way, the first big thing would be that I would have had such uh, confidence mm -hmm. because I, I would have understood what I needed to do in order to make things happen. 
-hmm. And as it was, I started very late. I was like 14 mm -hmm. when I started taking ballet. And yeah, I and I want to get into that too, because I, that's something I only recently learned. So Yeah, um, I mean, I, I, had, I had a few lessons before that time. I would say my formal training started when I was 14. I was lucky. I found a very good teacher, and they took very good care of me um, mm -hmm. in many ways. But it also then, when I went to Winnipeg when I was 17, that was really when I had everyday training, all right. day, mm -hmm. every day. So I had really three years before I joined the company. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't a lot of background. It was mm -hmm. good background. It just wasn't a lot of it before I started. Right. Yeah. And um, so I I was lucky. I think I made it because I had a, I had enough natural ability, and mm -hmm. obviously a, a a grit and a desire that was beyond beyond where I mm -hmm. would not give up. Mm -hmm. And so that's also part of it, right? It's mm -hmm. it's having that interest and that desire and that need. Mm -hmm. to make it succeed but yeah. I think you know back then I just I was at a place where no matter I, a teacher went into a room I would just listen to the teacher mm -hmm. and no matter what the teacher said I would do mm -hmm. now I do know that there were a lot of times when I was younger that people would say things to me and I had no idea what they were talking about I would look at them and go some one teacher said give me sexy feet and I went mm -hmm. and how does that help me yeah. like <laughs> like how does that help me? Mm -hmm. First of all, I have no idea what you're talking about and how do I translate a correction like that? And then you would, it was also the, the technique of give me more. And I'm going, okay, more of what? Right? You can do more or lift your arm. So, you know, the, the, there, were, there were a lot, of, I realized that when I was young, what gave me the ability, I think, to actually get to where I was when I did um, was the fact that I was in, immensely musical mm -hmm. and you begin to realize that um, and this is why when I met Stanley Williams and Truman Finney then immediately it connected because you realize that there's an innate rhythm to technique and mm -hmm. innate rhythm my one teacher said to me Evelyn your muscles have ears Mm -hmm. And that made so much sense to me because yeah. yes, there's a lot of things that you have to do um, from a certain point of view, but oftentimes why I felt that I wasn't technical was because sometimes what you have to do technically would go against what I heard musically. Interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. So as I got older, I began to realize that if I needed to work on something technical, I had to figure out how to rehear the music so that I could still Mm. be true to what my artistic soul felt within the music that my artistic soul knew that the music was telling me that I needed to express this mm -hmm. okay. but in order to be able to do the technical step that I've been given either I had to change the musicality that I was given or I had to find a way to meld the two mm -hmm. right because mm -hmm. you know to do 32 fuetes requires an innate sense of rhythm and if you're listening to a certain musical thing and you're following that, you, I cannot, like even if I tried, I could not be unmusical. Mm -hmm. So I, my teacher even once said when I was young and I would cry, she said, you were crying in three, four times. <laughs> I cry on the, on the rhythm and I laugh so hard when I heard it. But I realized that that, that, that is... That is, uh, it's a blessing and a curse. 
because to a certain degree, certain, certain technical things have to be accomplished with, uh, and so what was great was when you start to understand that, then you can work to find the way that they can both come together. But if you don't, you're kind of tied to one or the other. Mm -hmm. And you see a lot of dancers who are, you know, incredibly unmusical because they're tied to the technical element and creating the technical element. So the first and foremost thing is, is accomplishing the technical element. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, is that the soul is in music mm -hmm. and what you have to hear by the cadence of the, of the musicality, like the music, the music you, you listen to it and you have to hear the, the wail or you have to hear the joy or you have to hear mm -hmm. the, mm -hmm. the, the mechanics of the brain going, or you have to hear, you know, the incredible fury. And if you can't, if you, then you have to transport that into the technical step. So it becomes necessary. And the more that you then gain an understanding of what your body is doing from deep inside, it's the same way that you have to express yourself and your emotions from inside. Because if you try to express something by putting it on, it's never going to be genuine. It's never going to show. And that's why to a certain degree, uh, someone said to me, oh, you don't have to do very much to do so much. And I went, but there's so much going on inside. Mm -hmm. Like it's, a, it's an entire symphony going on inside. Mm -hmm. You may not see it, but it's happening. And it's this sense of, of, of being able to then go inside your body and have kind of an x-ray vision of the joints because it's it's really about putting the joints in the right position allowing the muscles to uh, assist mm -hmm. and then that creates a body that has no obstacles and when the body has no obstacles you can create the same flow as the musical phrase mm -hmm. and when the musical phrase is able to flow through you then we don't see the difference between the emotion and the dancer and the mm -hmm. physical movement, right? It becomes one. And then people don't see the technique. They see mm -hmm. only the emotion. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it, it just, all I know is that when I was young, I always had this instinct to try to create the music. Mm -hmm. And so my frustration would always be when I felt that I could not create that line that would mm -hmm. continue through mm -hmm. and so it's interesting i see young dancers who are musical but they don't pay attention to the musicality and then you look at them and you try to get them to bring that to the fore but they somehow have separated it mm -hmm. okay and some and somehow you know when you move you have to know your body from inside so that the connection is always you're always understanding that connection and the sense of pulse and the sense of rhythm. Mm -hmm. And even if you have no, even if it's just out and in, there's a great amount of rhythm and connection in a very dry movement. Yeah, yeah that so reminds me when, when uh, because we work right now without music, but there is so much rhythm and musicality in how you count, for example, when we go yeah. through the exercises. Yeah. But that also, that also becomes because that's what is necessary, that rhythm is necessary for the muscle to be able to find its pathway. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. to find its drop, to find its an energetic beginning and end. And mm-hmm. that's what most people miss is mm-hmm. that, it, and that when I watched Stanley Williams or Truman Finney work, I realized, and Truman used to say, well, it's because the movement is consequent. And I didn't understand what he meant by that until later. And I went, and then I watched Stanley and I thought, it's because Stanley works on the very, very root of the movement, mm-hmm. right? You, where the movement begins in the body. Mm-hmm. So if it begins at the body, the leg is always going to be the most expanded, the most turned out, the most rotated, the most beautiful that it mm-hmm. can possibly be. And you know, people, you oftentimes when you're first taught, you know, they say, give, us, give me a long leg. Mm-hmm. And you go, okay, long. <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah. And, and, and when I started to work this way, I, I felt long. Mm-hmm. Like I, for the first time, I, I felt what a long leg felt like. I felt a long leg. And actually interesting, if you had have looked at it, it would have been much, much shorter and much closer to my body than you would have ever expected. But within the body, the energetic, mm, yeah. the energetic um, footprint or the energetic print of that movement is long. Mm-hmm. And then I went, oh, that's what you meant. But you need to tell me this in order to, for me to achieve that, right? Yeah. And yeah. so that's the hard part is oftentimes people can observe something and they can see what the end result should be. And a lot of times people can't see and they can't see the difference between, and it comes down, it's, it literally is like surgery, right? Mm-hmm. It comes down to a half an inch sometimes mm-hmm. of coming right through that position and not, not cutting the corner, mm-hmm. right? So if you have a graph and you've got a, a, a 45 degree angle and then the graph is curved, it, you know, you have to be able to see the difference between whether or not you're curving that line or that you're really going through yeah. mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. 45 degree angle. And, and so it's incredibly fascinating and it's incredibly fascinating. And, you know, consequently now, as I finished dancing, now I've been teaching 15 years and as I teaching is to observe a body mm-hmm. and to be able to pinpoint not only what is going wrong, like, and what means, what, what that body needs to do in order to create a better pathway, create uh, it, that, that, that particular body's fullest potential, mm-hmm. but also how to figure out how to explain it to them and how to get that across so that they can find it inside themselves. Because mm-hmm. it doesn't help for me to say, well, you're not getting your, leg, your weight over your leg. Yeah. You, have, yeah. you have to find a way to give them physical, the physical feeling and the yeah. physical exercise or the physical rhythm or the physical idea or an image. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, and you have to just, my first director was like that. His name was Arnold Spohr and he would give us uh, motivation rehearsals. And that would mm-hmm. be, he would just throw out 5,000 different images mm-hmm. because he had a room full of different people. And so he would throw out 5,000 different images and hopefully all of us would come to look the same, but he knew that not everybody is going to respond to the same image. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's quite fascinating. The the, the frustrating Um, thing. Can I, I, um, uh, because there are so many sorry i want to dig into later especially you know the confidence part and also the creating pathways and how you as a teacher figure out what, students respond to um i just want to 
ask you because you know i think that late start is interesting and and that grit and the musicality um so i'm wondering where did that that grit and that musicality come from uh you know like from um like you can maybe take us back to how you grew up and how you got into ballet at all at at that age and what what drew you in what brought you in and 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 then also you know um that well that's going to be the next question like yeah okay so you so, went through the training so basically um i was my family was musical so we had no exposure okay. to ballet at all my dad had his actm and he was going to have an audition with um sir ernest mcmillan but he was too frightened so he didn't go okay so he went he went into the mu into the ministry so that he could live around music Mm -hmm. So I would be in my bed at night and he would come home late and he would go downstairs to the piano and he would play. Mm -hmm. So okay. I was surrounded by music. We took piano lessons. I took violin in, um, in public school and I took clarinet in high school. And I remember, uh, I didn't realize it, but my mother brought the violin teacher home because he was trying, I was determined to quit mm -hmm. once I discovered ballet. And he, he came home to try to convince me because he felt I had great musical talent. Mm -hmm. And I just listened to what the sound I made. I thought, that he's nuts. I, I've got no talent whatsoever for mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. But I also wanted to be an actress. Mm -hmm. And my parents had taken me to Stratford um, two or three times when I was a child. And I loved dressing up. So mm -hmm. I would go and see my father uh, do weddings. Mm -hmm. And I would go even as like an eight-year-old child and I would critique the dress. Mm -hmm. and the bridesmaids' choices, et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera. So when I was 10, somehow, I don't know why, but my mother kept us, allowed us to stay up late to see Veronica Tennant do mm -hmm. Romeo and Juliet on TV. Mm -hmm. Out of the blue, because mm -hmm. ballet wasn't her thing, yeah. or my family thing, we had any exposure to it, and it was like a thunderbolt. At that mm -hmm. moment, I was 10, I, got, I saw it, and I went, it combined music, it combined theater, and there were great costumes. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, this is it. I still mm -hmm. remember her being lowered and me getting goosebumps. And I thought, anything that can make me react like that, like it was real. Mm -hmm. And I thought, that's what I have to do. I knew nothing about ballet. Mm -hmm. And then we gained- the Goosebumps too, as you, you know, as you can tell this. And, and, and I can tell you, I, I, my pathway there, I, I, I tried to, the, one of the girls down the street was a student at the National Ballet School. Mm -hmm. So I decided that I wanted to audition for the National Ballet School. So my mother took me, actually first, she first took me to a demonstration by the students in the National Ballet School. Mm -hmm. And my mother took me up to talk to Betty Olfen and um, my parents and enrolled me. I auditioned for the National Ballet School uh, because one of the girls down the street was a student at the National Ballet School. So mm -hmm. I went and I wore a leotard. I didn't have shoes and I wasn't accepted. I still have my rejection letter and I was devastated mm -hmm. saying that I had more, more of an a normal body than an abnormal body, mm -hmm. but that I should keep doing ballet for a hobby because I thought, no way, I'm, I'm no way. So my parents, I, I, there was a student from the school that gave a few classes. So I had about 10 classes at the YWCA with her. And mm -hmm. then she encouraged me to audition again. So I auditioned again. And this time I got into the summer school. Mm -hmm. So I went to the summer school when I was, you were how old back then? I think I was 12. Okay. But, but I had like 10 lessons. Okay. So I went to the summer school and I, I really, I, I 
I found it hard. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I didn't, I knew nothing. And I was in with all these people that had been, had had probably lessons since they were six. Right. Right. Anyway, I, um, at that point I got another rejection. I wasn't accepted again. And then my parents moved to Dorchester, which is outside of London. Mm-hmm. I, I must've been 13 at that time when mm-hmm. I went to summer school. Mm-hmm. And one of the women, um, who was our assistant teacher, I saw that one of the people in my cl- the class that I'd been in was in the paper saying they'd been accepted and this was their teacher. So that's how mm-hmm. I found Dorothy Carter and Victoria Carter. Mm-hmm. So I went and they looked at me and they said, I was 14 and they, so they, they agreed to take me on. Mm-hmm. And then after one year, I took my grade two exam, which is nothing. Mm-hmm. And Carol Chadwick looked at me and said, would you like to come to school? And I went, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I went to the school the next year. I was in grade 11 because I mm-hmm. accelerated a year. And after three months, I'd lost about three pounds, four pounds. Mm-hmm. And there was a real scare at the, the school at that time about anorexia. So they sent me home. Mm-hmm. And so I came home and I went back and they'd already filled my bed. So mm-hmm. I came back just devastated. Mm-hmm. And I finished off grade 11 and my teachers realized that they needed to do something to pick me up and make me realize that the National Ballet was not the only place to dance. Mm -hmm. So they took me to New York and I I did classes in the summer at Don Farnsworth and at Harkness House and at ABT Mm -hmm. and where else? At Joffrey, but I didn't take class at City Ballet because they didn't audition people in the summer. And I I got accepted to all all of the schools that were auditioning. But for me, I was just clueless. I just still felt like I was such a failure. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I finished grade 12 and my teachers sent me out to Winnipeg because they were starting a new program. Mm-hmm. And I got taken into the professional program. It was called the scholarship division. Then. Okay. And luckily, luckily, if you got accepted, you didn't have to pay any tuition because my parents had no money. Mm-hmm. And so I had worked as a lifeguard. So mm-hmm. I was able to pay for my airfare out there. And we found a person that gave me room and board for $85 a month, if you can imagine. Mm-hmm. And the school gave me a bursary. So that covered that. So my parents didn't have to pay for anything. Okay, wow. Um, but I had maybe three cents in my wallet for the mm-hmm. three years that I was a student. Mm-hmm. But you know, I, I didn't care. I was blissfully happy mm-hmm. on the inside. On the outside, I cried every day because I thought I was terrible. Mm-hmm. And I was terrible, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But I, I just, it was, now I look back at it and I think it was the best time in my life where you have a goal and you're going every day mm-hmm. and you work for it and you don't give up. And what more can you ask out of life mm-hmm. than to have a purpose to wake up every day and a determination and a chance to work to make mm-hmm. things better. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and then I joined the company um, after three so, years. So you were 17 when you said when you joined that that new training, I went to professional division. new pro- program, yeah. and, and then, then yeah. Yeah. and then I joined the company when I was twenty. So and how was, did that? I mean, you you know, I was I was wondering you because you had so much less training in terms of years than your peers, probably. Um, you know, like the same age peers in the company. Like, how did you make up for that? Let's say in the first years, or did you have to make up for it, or? Um, what was well, the sentiment uh, of that? I think I felt like I was behind until I was probably about 38. 38? Okay. 
I really yeah. felt I felt like no matter when when no matter when I went into a, a, a room that I always felt that I was lacking. Oh, okay. And, and but I think that also is what fueled me. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I was determined. Um, and I think when, when you feel like you're always behind, you feel like you have to work harder. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I also realized that, <clears throat> I mean, people used to say that there was nobody that had a stronger work ethic. Um, I, I, I would do every class that was available. So if I went in at nine o'clock, I would be working from nine to six nonstop. And then I would stay mm -hmm. after and I would come in on the weekend. And even in my career, I think I took sometimes two, two days off a month, maybe. Mm -hmm. Sometimes one day off a month. Uh, it just, I, it was just, I, and it, and it wasn't like I was doing it to prove anything to anybody because I was trying to make everything. I just felt like I needed, not that I even needed to work. I wanted to work. I just mm -hmm. knew that the more I worked, the happier I was, mm -hmm. right? Even if I was unhappy. Mm -hmm. So it, it was just a case of really from that thunderbolt and getting into Winnipeg and finding a place. And I think a little bit of realizing that after I, I had been rejected three mm -hmm. times, mm -hmm. realizing that if I didn't make this work, it wasn't going to work. Mm -hmm. And so I, I come out of that situation you know, I was still always really devastated by that when I was quite young. But looking back at it, it was probably the greatest gift I was given was to be rejected. Mm -hmm. Because I think it fueled my desire. Mm -hmm. Because there was no way that I was going to not succeed. Right? I was not. And I think that's also maybe, I don't know, I look at that and I think, why, why is it uh, that, you know, after three rejections, you don't just look and say, well, because my parents were devastated, right? Because they thought, they've told this, they've told our daughter three times that she's not got what it takes, mm -hmm. and yet she's determined. And they were, I think, really frightened for me, mm -hmm. like really frightened that I was going to end up so disappointed, right? Mm -hmm. And and so I just, but you know, there was something deep within me. I can't tell you what it was, but I just knew mm -hmm. that I was going to be a ballerina. Mm -hmm. Now, everything on the outside that I looked at, if I looked at myself dancing, I just thought, no, this is, this is what am I thinking? I'm an idiot. Mm -hmm. But deep down inside, it was a knowing somehow. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I was, there'd be days that I was so discouraged that I would just be in tears. But, you know, I would stay and I would, even in class, like when I went to Don Farnsworth's class, I would do, I would do the class with each group. Mm -hmm. Like I wouldn't stop. I just, mm -hmm. I would just practice and practice and practice and practice. So when I look at young students today that stand there like this, mm -hmm. and then, and even, so I have a picture of me, which I could maybe send and you can maybe put it on something at one point. Yeah, absolutely. Very welcome. And, and if you, you look at the look that I'm giving my teacher, it's just like this. Mm -hmm. And I realized that I hung on every word. Mm -hmm listened, learned, copied, you know, decided to do everything. And, and you just, I, but I also realized that I had my own thing from very early because, because of this musicality. Mm -hmm. So I remember what my first year training with the Carters, I was 14. We came back from summer and she did a tondu exercise. And the first time we did tondu exercise to the, the ball music from Prokofiev, which was, 
And then the second time it was like, and she stopped and she said to the class, she said, that's right. Because the music is different, you have to dance differently. And that was just natural for me. Like it was just, I didn't have to think about it. And I still don't, right? It's just, you hear it and you, you, it kind of tells you what you have to do. So for me, the music is like a handbook, an emotional handbook, an emotional and, and dynamic handbook. Mm-hmm. You just listen, you listen and it tells you what you have to do. Because there's stories mm-hmm. in music, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you listen to the, the Rachmaninoff Third Symphony and you, I heard the whole Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I saw the whole Lord of the Rings just going in front of me. So you realize that it's a, it's a for me, movement is much more about something visual. Mm-hmm. So it was always very, uh, a very, imaginative thing not a physical thing mm-hmm. i um i remember i i told you that story um a few months ago that last summer i met uh, a former pas de partner of yours from munich uh by coincidence Olive? Uh, Oliver, yeah Oliver Wehe. um and he had very fun memories of dancing with you and one one story he shared with me was that uh when you were starting to rehearse a new piece you know, and he was all ready to go, you simply stopped him and you made him listen together with you. Um, and for him, you know, that was quite memorable. And, um, you know, he was telling this with like, really, you know, he really brightened up when he, when he told that story. Um, what, what do you, did you, um, did that give you sort of an... Uh, let's say a step ahead maybe. And, you know, I don't want to say compensate for technique because, you know, I don't see this as a mechanical trade-off. Um, and, and did it also create friction maybe with, uh, with other dancers or partners, part of the partners um, that, you know, didn't match that musicality maybe. So, I mean, I think, think, well, I think the thing is that I think what, what it gave me was the sense that because I heard music, Uh, from a point of view of flow, mm-hmm. I just, that's how I, I moved. Mm-hmm. So, so in a way, the way that I developed technique was not about going around three times or mm-hmm. lifting my legs really high. It was about creating the flow of the movement with my body. Mm-hmm. And that's what's so frustrating now because I hear music now and my body doesn't have the mm-hmm. wherewithal anymore to to do what I hear. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's, and so I think that that, that's, so it was just that it just, it gave me it. It was that I was approaching dance from a completely different angle mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. than most people. Like it was not about going into a room and figuring out how to turn out my legs. And I was mm-hmm. doing that, mm-hmm. but the, the, the main focus was always musical. Right. Right. And with partners, um, why I always was so specific musically was because I, I realized that the technical elements, oftentimes we would struggle and argue and, and fight. And then I would sit there and say, wait a minute, stop. Mm-hmm. Listen, to, listen to where we both need to be. Mm-hmm. And then it would just melt into, into you know, a, 
co coordination because what it is is that the music is the roadmap and so you cannot you can i cannot I cannot as a person dance with someone who's not listening to the music because mm -hmm. then they're just following me mm -hmm. or they're pushing me into a place where they think they want to go. Mm -hmm. And it has to be two people listening to the music and coordinating their movements together mm -hmm. because it's the same thing. What we do as a couple has to be the same as one single person. It mm -hmm. has to be an extension of the music. Mm -hmm. And without, without listening to the music, there's a lot of, and there's a lot of people who can, but as soon as you do that, you, you just don't get, you don't, you don't, you don't get the, you don't get the sense of, you get, you get bumps, mm -hmm. you get stops, you get staccato, you get stutters in your movement. And, and you want, you want Padada to look completely seamless and unseen mm -hmm. and you don't you don't want to see something being manipulated you want to see something and that's because we're trying to create magic are we not mm -hmm. right we're trying to we're trying to lose the technique so that people see the soul that's all mm -hmm. and that's a dancer's job and that's a professional dancer's job to do that 24 hours a day to work on the technique so that disappears so that the audience comes and only sees the soul but it's like one time Glenn Tetley was looking at the National Ballet Company way back in the 80s. I'll never forget it. And he stops and says, people, 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 stop. He says, there's too many, too many, you know, problems. He says, you're angels. And angels don't have technical problems. And I, and I just love that. Right? Good story, yeah. And I thought, that is the key. And it's the same. And that's what's so miraculous about the point shoe. The point shoe was developed to create the sense of lightness. And nowadays I see people going up huh, and heaving onto their point shoe and down, and you're busy watching the point shoe. Mm -hmm. But the point shoe is an instrument of magic. Mm -hmm. And what should be is that when you're on it, you don't see how you get up or how you get down. Mm -hmm. And that's what, it's a tool. It's not a thing unto itself, mm -hmm. right? It's not about how pointed your foot is in it or how many, how long you can stand on it or how, many pirouettes you can turn on it. For me, it's really about how do you elevate and how do you flow through it mm -hmm. so that the flow of movement is un, unseen. Mm -hmm. It's seamless. Mm -hmm. That we don't see any, you know, why, why drive a Volkswagen when you can be in a Rolls Royce? Mm -hmm. But then it, sometimes there are advantages and sometimes, you know, you might want to have a Rolls Royce on purpose. Mm -hmm. But more often than not in ballet, you're wanting the Rolls Royce, not the Volkswagen, right? Yeah. Yeah. Did you, um, that's kind of, you know, a bit of a um, tangent here, maybe, uh, talk because you, you mentioned uh, point work. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. I remember, I don't know if we talked about it or someone else told me about it, that you tended to dance in quite soft point shoes. Socks. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I did remember that correctly. So was that for the purpose to achieve that kind of flow that you were just described? So it was, how did you, how did you um, find, you know, like what replaced the, the stiffness that other dancers maybe had to have? Um, well, I mean, it's funny. I was criticized a lot for my shoes and a lot of times 
that was partly um, because I was always near the end. I was put in a position that the shoes that were coming from England, um, the company wasn't ordering me enough shoes. And so mm -hmm. I would have to wear shoes that I would reject. Mm -hmm. And then I thought to myself, well, I have two choices. Either I dance with ugly shoes mm -hmm. or I don't dance. Mm -hmm. um, and I would wear very soft shoes because exactly of that, because it was the ability to control the shoe. Mm -hmm. And really the point work was then within your foot. And so when I went to mm -hmm. England, when I'm back in 1984 and my shoes weren't, I mean, they were soft then. Yeah. But um, they used to call me old iron foot. Mm -hmm. And, and then, and then when you realize that people like Gelsie Kirkland, um, Makarova wore their shoes very soft as well. Mm -hmm. it, because you realize it's the same at one point there's a level to which you realize that if you wear a hard shoe you can't you just can't mm -hmm. it, the, then you're not for me you're not doing point work you're where you're doing you're dancing with a with a point shoe mm -hmm. but point mm -hmm. work is all about how you use your foot inside the shoe mm -hmm. and so um i used to get very frustrated because you know i thought if people are just looking at the shoe and not observing the the quality of movement mm -hmm. do they not understand they would go on and say oh she's so so fluid and so that but her shoes are so ugly and going but don't you understand that i'm wearing my shoes like that so that my movement is fluid mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you know unfortunately sometimes as a dancer you have to get out there and and you know if you haven't been supported and you haven't been given the right tools then you have a choice do i just cancel my performance and say i'm so sorry i don't have the right tools i can't do this or do I go out and do the best I can with what I have? Mm -hmm. So that that was a, a big uh, thing. But I, yeah, I could never wear hard shoes. Mm -hmm. I was just terrified. I felt like I was on stilts because mm -hmm. I felt that all of a sudden there was there was no connection with the floor, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I think I think you know it's a, it's a very it's a whole different way of of functioning. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's very few people nowadays that work that way. Mm -hmm. it's a completely different and it requires great strength and great uh, tenacity and you mm -hmm. have to but what it gives you is the ability especially if you go into dramatic roles to um, express yourself and have people forget that you're actually dancing mm -hmm. and they think you're actually just speaking and relating mm -hmm. to people mm -hmm. that's very cool mm -hmm. So um, would you generally, uh, or, or yeah, maybe the other way around, do you think that many uh, dancers, no matter you know, what age they're starting, uh, tend to be in too hard shoes and that that's uh, in order to cut the time that they will be able to perform? Or, I mean, you know, is it, is it a shortcut or is it, I don't know, convenience no no or... no I, i mean i think i think it's just i think it's just the fact that that you can wear hard shoes absolutely but what's not being taught is the 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 subtleties of of going right. up and down mm -hmm. and and that comes if we get into a more discussion that comes all the way through to understanding that point work is nothing really about your shoe it's really mm -hmm. about that placement of your pelvic alignment and where your right. your yeah where yeah. your leg is in the hip mm -hmm. And yeah. that point work is actually in your hip mm -hmm. and it's not really, and it, then it goes down to your shoe. So mm -hmm. like for today I was working with my student Mia and for the first time she actually was in a line and Mia 
was told at one point very young that she would never be a dancer because she doesn't have enough rotation. And I thought, this is ridiculous because of course she does. And of course now today she gets up there, her legs are flat turned out, her heels are straight forward, she's on point. And I said, now how much are you gripping? And she mm -hmm. said, absolutely nothing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now it's taken five years to get there. Yeah. But, but you realize, I said, because you see, you don't hold your turnout. You, yeah. you, you place your bones, you add energy. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's the pathway of the bones, the pathway of the movement, and then the rotation is allowed to remain. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I want to, I want to get more into that. Um, so maybe we can jump into into that. Uh, so we've talked about your, um, your story, let's say, you know, until the first years in the, in the company. Um, so obviously throughout your career, your approach to movement, to technique, changed and you know i've heard you make make references for example that even a lot of those things happened in your late 30s and, and early 40s um so take us back when, when did maybe the first uh shift occur for you the first moment where you felt you know what i'm doing is not really how i, was I should, should supposed to work yeah. was there such well, a moment and what were maybe subsequent moments also well i was 28 And I had a crisis and I thought, I just can't do this. Now I also come from the, the metal and uh, at 24 and I've been four years of like nonstop guesting all around the world. Mm -hmm. And of course, guesting with a great amount of self doubt. I didn't feel like I had, I didn't come from a classical ballet company with all the, that behind me. I was doing my first Swan Lakes, my first Sleeping Beauties, my first everything mm -hmm. um, with, very little coaching. I did Swan Lake in six days. I did Sleeping Beauty in six days. Mm -hmm. I mean, unheard of, really, mm -hmm. for someone who has no background. And um, so I had a great amount of insecurity. And I knew that I had something unique to offer. But, you know, when you're out there in the world stage, all that you can judge is how many people are you know, the world-class dancers are lifted, like Sylvie Gamm is lifting her legs really high and there's three or four pirouettes and, and whatever. And I went to the World Festival my first year and I was quite intimidated because there are all these Paris opera dancers with great sense of confidence and, you know, all this amazing technique. And I stood in the wings and Peter Breuer was standing there and I looked at him and I said, I just don't know why I'm here. Mm -hmm. And he said, oh, yes, those people have great physical gifts. He said, but not one of them have what you have. And that's magic. Mm -hmm. So I knew that I had something. I'd won a gold medal. Um, I had got a certificate of exception. So there was reconfirmation that there was something that people were always telling me that I was a special dancer, mm -hmm. a unique dancer. Yeah. But it, you know, you, you still are very aware of what you can and cannot do physically. Yeah. So I was 28 and I was working with my Russian coach where mentality was you know you repeat 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 you do it again you do it again you do it mm -hmm. again but i was exhausted mm -hmm. and i thought i remember one day coming in and think feeling like i was batting my head against the wall because i was going out on stage as terrified as ever never really sure whether it was going to happen or not just praying to god and thinking to myself people are coming expecting something from me and i have no idea Mm -hmm. if I can actually deliver it. Mm -hmm. So uh, what happened is that when I went 
1988 to the World Festival, Peter Shelfis saw me and he invited me to uh, do the film of Swan Lake, Makarova Swan Lake. And I went to Aarhus and that's when I met a teacher called Truman Finney who completely changed my... Who was, who was the teacher again? Could you say it again? Truman, Truman Finney. Okay. Mm -hmm. And interesting, his classes were very much like my, my, my uh, beloved teacher, David Maroney, who was the person who first taught me in Winnipeg. Right. And was my first real mentor. Mm -hmm. I mean, Dorothy Carter and then Dor David Maroney. And then came along Truman Finney. And, uh, you know, just very small things. Like he would say, Ellen, you don't do this. You do this. He said, you know, you've got two legs. You work on your right leg on the first side, your left leg on the first side, you work on your right leg on the second side. It's like scales. Mm -hmm. So little things, you know, muscles have ears, things like that completely mm -hmm. changed a lot of my thinking. Um, and I saw a student of his that was standing there with flat turned out, she was 18, with mm -hmm. legs rotated and pulled up right, the hip was way up. Beautiful work, the toe, the dynamic was just, and I thought to myself, I was 32. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I don't know what that is, but I want that. Mm. I don't know what that is, but I want it. But the thing about Truman was that he was so musical that his exercises forced you to figure it out. Mm -hmm. Now, nobody taught me what, what I sometimes teach you or try to explain to you. Nobody came to me and broke it down for me. Mm -hmm. I just, I would go in front of a mirror and sit there and say to myself, if this is what I want my bones to do, and mm -hmm. I put my bone in that position and I move from this position, what do I have to do muscularly in order for the bones to work that way? Mm -hmm. So I, I worked through it all that way. And mm -hmm. it took me about six months of, uh, I couldn't get it at all at first. because It was mm -hmm. a lot of letting go of a lot of, and going inside and letting go of things. And, uh, and so it took me about, I remember the first time in rehearsal that I felt it, that mm -hmm. I could apply it. Mm -hmm. And then, then finally feeling it in performance. Mm -hmm. And that was like, I came off stage so ecstatic because I thought all of a sudden I felt like I had a completely different body and that changed my confidence. Mm -hmm. And, and Interesting. The, the year that we did Swan Lake, I remember um, there was another principal dancer who was technically quite brilliant. She didn't have beautiful lines. She was artistic, but not the same kind of artistry as mine. Um, but she was technically artistic in the sense that she was just strong, strong, strong. And she would like go out there and do double doubles and people get, would get really excited about all the technical things that she would do. Wasn't particularly pretty, but mm -hmm. she had, that's how she found her way. Mm -hmm. And I remember that year that I finally did this and I felt in my body and I felt the control that this work gave me. And I thought, you know what? It's the first time in my life that I feel like I'm going out and coming close to delivering my, my potential as a dancer. Mm -hmm. And I was actually content with mm -hmm. who I was. I knew I didn't have the double fuetes and all the whiz bang, but I thought, but I have a storytelling ability. So between the two, I felt finally like, no, I have the right to be there in the middle and in the front and in the middle of the stage. So mm -hmm. it didn't bother me that someone else could do this and could do that because I felt, I felt that what 
that that sense of virtuosity was matched by a sense of virtuosity and control mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and line and shape and sensitivity and mm-hmm. detail right mm-hmm. so i think that that's that so when i was so then i met uh, stanley williams and i met, i still remember the first day i met him we were in the elevator together with he was just teaching three students in a summer class mm-hmm. and i met him he's tiny little danish man but with twinkling eyes mm-hmm. and he's first looks and he says good morning dear because he was danish so he had a mm-hmm. soft eye mm-hmm. and we went into class and he just he 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 didn't really correct anybody he would say two things basically big toe and press into the floor mm-hmm. and about two things that he would say mm-hmm. but i remember taking that class never feeling warmer Mm-hmm. never feeling more alive and more like i was when i was 14 i felt like i was 14 and learning again mm-hmm. and it was amazing i still remember looking out the window of juilliard and thinking to myself oh my god it was like the sky opened up so it was he, kind of like that going back to that beginner's mindset almost mm-hmm. i i realized that there was an entire thing for me to learn and so it gave me a sense of hope because i knew that i wasn't stuck mm-hmm. i knew that yeah i had a lot to do and a lot to change but that was what was exciting mm-hmm. because up to that point i thought this i was never going to get any better mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i just wanted to get better mm-hmm. and i remember we did 17 exercises before randishon um and can i just uh, to clarify so that was after you had this this your own experience of the few months where you discovered in front of a mirror what you needed to do right or was that i think it was sort of at the same time okay mm-hmm. all right i mean i was i was working i i met truman and that changed things for me yeah and and actually it was the minute i met truman i started it, that kind of just went like this click and all of a sudden my brain started to go oh i see there's a different way yeah and and when i was young there was a a, a dancer who had come to teach us her name was karen morell and she came from the dutch national ballet and she'd broken her arm and had been set incorrectly mm-hmm. and so she couldn't dance anymore because it was it, mm-hmm. she couldn't straighten it um she had beautiful legs and feet and she taught us class but i was so you know i was a, a kid that was so mm-hmm. um like this with my teacher like this is the only way i can do it mm-hmm. that i wasn't i wasn't able to open my mind up to see that there was a different way and she was so frustrated mm-hmm. and now i look back at that and i think well no wonder because mm-hmm. she was looking at us like what are you doing and mm-hmm. it's probably the way i would look at it now mm-hmm. right um but you know at that point in my career i needed to be this way right yeah yeah um and and i would and you know honestly i have to admit there was a bit of me that was a bit stubborn mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you know mm-hmm. you as a, as a, you realize this as dancers you you have to have a bit of that stubbornness and you have to decide totally. yeah and you have to you have to decide really what you're going to take and what you're not going to take yes yes on point when you have enough knowledge um and you can make those decisions when you're a student you can't you have to listen and you have to do what your teachers are telling you but when you get older and you've done a lot of things you and i, I remember too a famous teacher who's just recently died um in new york looked at me and said said to me once he said but ellen you can't control it that much 
And I remember my, I didn't respond, but in my head, you know what I said to myself? Why not? Mm-hmm. And I, and I realized that, that I, I thought maybe you can't control it. And maybe you think I can't control it that much, but let me try. Mm-hmm. And if I fail, then I fail. Right. What have I got to lose? Mm-hmm. And that's the way I felt my whole life. I thought, well, I go off on a different direction and there's a lot of people and people have said since day one, oh, you're wrong. You're crazy. You're cuckoo. You're neurotic. You're to this, you're to that. And the funny thing is when I teach now, there's still the same thing. You still get a lot of people that look and look at you like that is so different. It's so weird. Mm-hmm. And they run away. Mm-hmm. But then you take a look at other people and you see that once they, if you can kind of crack into it and they can get into it and you can plant the seed, then you realize that there are people that go, oh, oh, mm-hmm. oh, and then it grows inside of them. Mm-hmm. And then you realize that you're not crazy because you see the difference. Like mm-hmm. it literally changes mm-hmm. in a day. Now it's a long process it, to get to the final result. It's probably going to take three years, but you can immediately sometimes even somebody like even in five minutes see a difference yeah yeah as and then, experienced <laughs> and and then and then when and then when you look at that you think how can that be wrong mm-hmm. and when yeah. i was work, when i was working this way i i discovered that when i was went would go inside my body and allow myself to work this way everything that anybody had ever said to me made sense mm-hmm. i thought well, that's what they meant. Oh, but that's what they meant. Well, of course. Well, now I'm doing that. Now my leg is long, mm-hmm. right? Now I'm lifting up. Now my shoulders are free, mm-hmm. now, right? Now my rib, I, and everything made sense. And then they would say, oh, no, you can't do it that way. And I'm going, but mm-hmm. how is it possible when everything feels absolutely right? How mm-hmm. can that be wrong? Mm-hmm. And I've got way more control. I'm on balance. I'm not frightened. I have more rotation. I have better extensions. I'm jumping. Mm-hmm. How can that be wrong? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, yeah I, exactly. I may not know it exactly yet, and it may be extreme at the moment, but I'll get there. Yeah. But I'm in process, right? Uh-huh. And it's having the courage to have process. And I don't know if, if it's this desire on the outside to always have a perfectly, you know, to, to make it look right on the outside mm-hmm. before you've gone inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I can say it's a little bit like a wedding cake, right? Those old fashioned wedding cakes that had beautiful icing, but there was an empty box on the inside. Mm-hmm. So it looks beautiful, but there's nothing inside. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's a, it's just a very different way too and i think that's one of the reasons too why dance has gone away from being expressive because if you look at the film of ballet russe and you look at most of those dancers man did they have soul mm-hmm. and did and boy did their bodies have expression mm-hmm. and it, it's missing mm-hmm. and you keep thinking why i know that dancers don't love dancing less Mm-hmm. And I know that dancers don't feel less, but something isn't allowing us to be those expressive creatures that we all aspire to be. Mm-hmm. 
right? So what is it in your, from your perception? Well, I do think it, I think it's, you know, from my perception, I think a number one, you know, it's, it's a difference in focus. Like the question is, if you want your leg to go up here, that's great to have that as a tool. Mm -hmm. But you realize if you really turn out your leg, it's probably not going to go as high, but the quality with which it unfolds contains a vocabulary that is much more diverse and much more varied mm -hmm. and much deeper. Yeah. So you could say the cat is black or you could say the gentle, sweet, purring, murmuring cat softly treaded uh, across the floor uh, with a stealth and a knowledge and a wisdom beyond its years. Mm -hmm. Or you could just say the cat entered the room. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, yeah. And there's the difference. So you can say the cat entered the room, or you could say the, the, the sleek, black, uh, cougar-like, uh, you know, animal entered the room as silently on, on soft, soft marshmallow paws kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. But the problem is, is that there's such a trend to make ballet so physical and, and it's gone away from storytelling the way it was back in, mm -hmm. but you know, everybody should watch this film Ballet Roost because it's just, fascinating mm -hmm. and you watch and you see that the dancers back then they came from a tradition of classical ballet and they came mm -hmm. but then they started they wanted to do their own experimentation and you know the Indian machine started doing ballets to symphonies and it was just considered shocking at the mm -hmm. time um, but you look at it and you see how creative and how magnificent it was and you look and you think, I don't know that we've gone any much farther than we were back then. <laughs> I mean, we have because we've gone into a much more contemporary mm -hmm. um, thing. But in so doing, we've also lost a great deal of the artistry. So if you take a look at someone like Stradivarius, who's creating a violin with this, you know exactly how to warp the violin, and the golden... Uh, tarnish whatever on top you know it's a very different thing than say an electric violin mm -hmm. and one, one is no more valuable really i mean in the end both make a very different sound and both service very different need and our culture is so different than it was you know our culture is loud and consumeristic and grabbing and needing mm -hmm. things sensational and you know, this COVID-19 time is such an interesting time because it's forcing people to stop, slow down. But I also sit there and think, you know, also with all of the things that are happening with the, the events that are happening during COVID-19 and the social media and every, there's so much noise yeah. in our yeah. culture. And I think the problem with ballet is that it's not noisy. Mm -hmm. And it was never meant to be noisy. Mm -hmm. And I think it was meant to be an art where you come silently, you watch, you listen, you absorb, you feel, whatever it is you feel, personally, quietly, mm -hmm. and leave, almost like a meditation. 
And, yeah. and I think now the feeling is that if you go to ballet, it has to have all the hispumba, the musical mm -hmm. theater, and Cirque du Soleil, and theater, right. and a movie, and, and contemporary dance, and everything mashed into one. Mm -hmm. And I keep thinking, but isn't there something wonderful about going in and watching magic? Mm -hmm. Listening to how the dance and the magic of watching a body that understands it so, itself so subtly. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they used to say, Frederick Ashton said that um, Isadora Duncan, when she, she had such power over an audience that she would, he said, when he first saw her, she stood at the piano and she would stand at the piano like this and just listen. She did do nothing for like the first minute, two minutes, mm -hmm. and the audience would be just standing there. And she would move her baby finger and people would just sigh. Mm -hmm. because the baby finger it wasn't about the baby finger it was because it was it was all the sensuality and, mm -hmm. and all so I'm trying to say is that and maybe I'm just very 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 old-fashioned about this but again the same thing I I go to many things in theater and oftentimes I find that I'll go to something that's a production value and many people mm -hmm. and I'll enjoy it and I think wow that's great and then I'll go to a, a something something where there's one person on stage with maybe two musicians or something mm -hmm. like that. And I'm so drawn in. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think that is way more powerful. Yeah. Than the I know exactly what you, what you're talking about. Yeah. I, and I, so I, I, it's not that there isn't a place for noise in ballet. Yeah. And there's not, and there's not, not to say that noise isn't essential to express what you have to express. Mm hmm. But I think at one point, one has to recognize that it's, that's not all there is. Mm -hmm. It's not mm -hmm. just noise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? And I think that that's a whole different approach to technique. And mm -hmm. I think technical ability nowadays, not, and I'm not talking for everybody, but I'm just mm -hmm. saying in a general thought, is noisy. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Uh, mm -hmm. It's not, you know, if you sit there and think of a Franciscan monk, doing calligraphy yeah what that what does that concentration take yeah. to create that that kind of sense of beauty and expression mm -hmm. and somebody else you know texting yeah i think that's the difference between our two worlds now right yeah i want to i want to um get more into that how that stillness also plays out in your understanding of teach and and technique and how you teach um to start this off, I in um, in one article I read that uh, when you were still dancing, you kind of vowed never to teach. <laughs> I did. And um, so, why was that, and what made you change your mind? Um, necessity, actually. Okay. Um, when I came, when I came to Toronto, um, and I had left the Winnipeg Ballet, a really okay. rather nasty situation. Uh -huh. which meant that I really couldn't stay in Winnipeg. And okay. I had originally thought that I was, of course, going to just follow through and give back and be part of the staff and perhaps eventually direct the Winnipeg Valley. And so the way the circumstances went, I thought, I can't stay here. Okay. So I came to Win to Toronto because I thought, first of all, there are people I know. There's the National Valley mm -hmm. Company. There's two universities. There's the Dance and Transition Center. My family's in Ontario. Mm -hmm. um, and so Roberto Campanella uh, 
calls me over one day and it, I was there just in the building and he says, you know, there's this little girl in my class mm-hmm. and I just have a soft spot for her, but she really needs you. Mm-hmm. And I looked at her and she was like this little 12 year old who looked like an adult. Mm-hmm. Like she could basically do things better than the adults. Mm-hmm. Not turned out, I mean, very rough. I mean, feet bigger, feet, really big ears and really big feet, right? You know, when you haven't grown into your ears and your feet yet. And this was Alice Sheep. And so I said to her mother, I said, I've never taught before. I don't really want to teach, but I'll try. Mm-hmm. So I started with one hour a week and then it ended up being like three hours a week. And then very quickly it became six hours a week. And then it became five hours a day. And then it became five hours a day, six days a week. Mm-hmm. And uh, she, she was a, like a, a protege where she was a phenom. Mm-hmm. And uh, she went to the competitions and won silver medals. And then finally at 17, 17? 17, won the gold medal at Helsinki mm-hmm. and then joined Birmingham Valley. And she's been there for eight years, but I vowed never to teach. But you know, the thing was, is that there was no job for me in Toronto and no, okay. mm-hmm. no openings for me with any of the dance organizations. Mm-hmm. So I had to somehow find a way. Mm-hmm. And so I started to teach privately to mm-hmm. pay the bills and that kind of built. And I kept, teaching privately and one point then I thought I'm just I can't keep teaching privately it's too exhausting Mm -hmm. so then I had a group of about five people and uh, I thought you know wouldn't you better just to get together because by paying me by the hour Mm -hmm. if you all pulled the money together and paid me by the hour but you'd get more Mm -hmm. hours yeah and what what's important in this work is that you consistently do it every day yeah. Because yeah. you can do my class and then you go to somebody else's class and they tell you not to do that. Mm-hmm. Or you go to somebody else's class and the rhythms aren't right. Mm-hmm. So then you, you're going to be fighting. It's like one step forward, three steps mm-hmm. back, one step forward. Mm-hmm. So then I started a group and then I started a, a little, um, I tried to get a conservatory off the ground. Mm-hmm. But because I never could get, um, I really, the, you know, with the kind of model of just working with professional students, you really need donors and sponsors. And, mm-hmm. and you know, there were lots of, difficulties with uh, trying to get that off the ground mm-hmm. i won't go into that that's not important that's fine yeah but you know for i think probably 10 of my 15 years i've been trying to get it going and so finally last year i finally went this is not going to happen mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i finally said and and as the space that i was using was being needed more and more mm-hmm. i finally said i have to send my students away mm-hmm. so now i'm i'm at the point where i have one student left and i'm trying to get her ready to push her out of the nest. Mm-hmm. Um, and she would have been out of the nest excepting for the COVID-19. So that's yeah. kind of bad. Yeah. But, you know, I still find myself teaching. Mm-hmm. I, I get involved in it. I find it fascinating, but it's not, it's not, it doesn't feed my soul the way being an artist does. Mm-hmm. It fe- feeds it in a different way, but it's yeah. not, my true nature is to be an expressive artist and I miss that. Mm. but you know there's also there is a a gratitude a a gratitude in in like now in COVID-19 of having something to do (laughs) so when you when you teach people who are who are interested and serious and and make progress and 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 take it then it's much more fulfilling Yeah. yeah like I I just, there's no way that I would have patience anymore to teach anybody who doesn't have any desire to be there. Yeah. yeah. I just, I'm not, I'm not interested in that. I feel like saying, and in the end, 
it has to be the person wanting to come to it. Because mm-hmm. it's not me. It really is the person wanting to come to their highest potential and being yeah. willing, willing to let go and to fight and to find things. And that's why it's, it's actually quite interesting working with you as an adult mm-hmm. because adults come at it from such a different place, mm-hmm. right? And there isn't the pressure of becoming a professional ballerina mm-hmm. eventually, but it's really just coming from a genuine interest mm-hmm. and a genuine yeah. love yeah. And, a fas- and a fascination Yes. Yeah. How it actually works. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And coming into it on my own terms. Right. Like I I can decide if I want to, you know, go and and, you know, give it my everything and, uh, you know, not limit to where this can go. Um, It's just such fertile ground, I find. Absolutely. That's that's been my experience now also working with you. It's, you know, like you, you kind of, you can throw out so many like inner limiting beliefs um, when things start clicking and uh, yeah, it's, 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 and that is fascinating. And, and that is, and that I really, I've come to realize over the past 15 years is probably one of the greatest, greatest elements of, elements of teaching is is putting that out there mm-hmm. to teach people to get rid of those inner limiting beliefs yeah, yeah. because we all have them oh yeah yeah and, and i w- it, i want to get into that actually uh, specifically um but i would like to start off right now if you don't mind unless you had a thought that you wanted to share right now um, okay because uh, I wanted to get um, into that teaching part and the technique part. And, you know, it's kind of motivated by my own experience working with you. I was originally drawn uh, to your work because of the sheer amount of effortlessness that felt completely alien to my body. You know, I, I told you, I being a, a tall dancer and having had movement, movement experiences in different kind of sports all my life, um, I grew up with that image of being tall, requiring strength to muscle through uh, movements and, and, and even challenges in life, you know, it's, it's not yeah. restricted to movement. So um, when I first had the experience uh, in your class, it was like, whoa, I can do the same thing with so much less. And, you know, I want to know more about that. Um, so um, let's talk about how your, uh, your work um, your understanding of movement and creating ballet movement technique differs um, from from other approaches. And one thing that that I would like to start with that I find found just interesting to dig into is is the alignment of the pelvis, the way you teach, mm-hmm. and uh-huh. the way it almost looks uh, tucked. Um, uh, you know, whereas like in the past, I have heard teachers say, you know, you got to let the natural curve of your spine be. Um, so tell us a bit about that pelvic alignment and pulling the front up, uh, dropping the sacrum, and how that relates to turnout and how, how you found it maybe. And, and you know. Uh, well, I guess the thing is, is that, uh, I mean, first of all, I, I, uh, I think part of it was, I mean, when I first, first started working on this, I think I probably was quite tucked because I was trying to find, um, cause what I discovered was that when my 
pelvic pelvis was aligned backwards, that's what allowed my leg to rotate inside the socket. So that's, and I, first step was be, I realized that rotation is different than turnout, right? Rotation in the hip is separate from turnout. It's, they, they come together, mm -hmm. but they're also separate. So um, this is the thing. So one of the things that frustra frustrates me is, and it's what's so tricky about it, is that when I first did, I probably was tucking because I was trying to find muscles to make it happen. Mm -hmm. I didn't have the strength yet to do it. Um, I think what it is is that what you begin to realize is that if you go backwards and if you go onto point, and especially with the, the hips that I have, I've got very narrow hips and I, I'm not a naturally turned out because I started late. I didn't stretch those ligaments mm -hmm. in my hips. So I, I had to work extra hard in order to get to be rotated. I'll never be really turned out, but mm -hmm. to be as rotated as I could. What you begin to realize is that that, alignment of the pelvis is actually the alignment of the pelvis that you need to be to have to stand on point and not grip your butt mm, okay and that's another interesting point too right the, because the... because if you're on point and gripping your butt you are not going to be able to move fluid with fluidity mm -hmm. there's just no possible way because in order to move in a fluid way you have to function from the feet you have to have all joints that the toe joints, the ankle joints, the knee joints, the hip joints, they all, joints have to work in a fluid manner. Mm -hmm. And then the muscles support the joints. But if you are tensing any one of those joints, it will tense every other one of them up and down the line. Mm -hmm. So the problem is, is that if you're on point, and you can dance with a neutral spine on point, you just won't be rotated on the transition steps. Mm. So the point is that you want to be in a position, I think, this is me, is that, yeah, that, that's, that's fine. that when you are moving, you're constantly moving from your metatarsals, from one mm -hmm. metatarsal to the next, which allows you to maintain the rotation within the hip. Mm -hmm. So that means that if you were to take a picture, say, of, of me chassing pas de bourre, both legs would be completely rotated at every step of the way. Mm -hmm. What drives me crazy is when I watch people move, and they'll maybe be in a good position in the position, but in between it's completely falling mm -hmm. in. And then you realize as soon as you lose that position, or as soon as you lose that, you lose clarity and then something else goes. Mm -hmm. And you realize that when you're not in, up in moving from the sacrum and from the hip and using the feet, it, 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 movement might look great, but you'll look. And if you look carefully, then all of a sudden you realize that the shoulders are really stiff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or the arm isn't moving in the right place, right? Or the back is back, so then they can't turn. Yeah. Something, something goes. Mm -hmm. So you begin to realize, again, that the key is really is the fact is that at the sacrum is the bottom of the spine is right where the hip is, right? And so to a certain degree, that's what I call the, the point between heaven and earth. It's the horizon mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. And so basically your spine is above the bottom. Mm -hmm. And what happens is that you realize that that point of the very bottom of the spine, that's what you're moving around, mm -hmm. right? So your legs have to rotate and be rotated while you're moving the spine. So there's no possible way that you can move the spine with your legs only turned out. You have to rotate them and turn them out, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? So if they're rotated and turned out, they're going to be slightly in front of the spine. Mm -hmm. 
because mm-hmm. that's just the way the body is. Mm-hmm. Unless you've got incredibly loose, which some people do, ligaments inside your hip joints, right? Mm-hmm. But you still have the problem that if the pelvis isn't open in the hip or lifted up mm-hmm. so the ilium is, is parallel to the ground and dropping, um, your legs are not going to be able to rotate forward into the hip. Mm-hmm. So then you're not going to, you'll, you'll get rotation. Mm-hmm. And if you're lucky that you've got a lot of natural rotation, you don't have to worry about it. But I didn't. So I had to figure out a way to mm-hmm. get a rotation that looked equal. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing you realize is that the function of that pelvic alignment is also dependent on not tensing anything in the hip. Mm-hmm. And so that and means, which which uh, when you start working on this is the biggest challenge actually like from my experience like to break through these habitual tensing patterns. Yeah. Um, and that's what takes time. Yeah. But it's also the sense that your pelvis is being lifted and your spine is dropping. So when you say tucked, it from my point of view, it isn't really tucked at all. You're aligning the spine, but it's done from such a sense of gravity and such a sense of ease that you're not tucking it under. You're, yeah. What you're doing is you're supporting, you're supporting your transverse arch so that your, your spine can lengthen. Yes, yes. Your spine can lengthen and your legs are dropping below it. Yeah, Therefore, I, I agree. That's why I said, you know, it almost looks like um, tucked, you know, when you look at it from, from the outside. But from my experience, it, it's not really tucking. It's more like how the SI joint works together with the spine and the, and the hip joints. And well, it's and basically it, kind of finding that neutral um, tilt of the, of the pelvis more than sort of flexing the spine to get it forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, it's really, it's in the end, the more you work on it, the more you find it's a sense of, it turns into a sense of gravity and a sense of, of imagining a certain shape in the spine, which will allow the legs. And actually if you Mm -hmm. stand in in first and you just drop the lower spine and you, you start to feel just the transverse arch, but not, not any of the muscles in the, in your butt, but you Mm -hmm. use your rotators, which are, in a way, the backs of the legs and underneath, you, you, you begin to feel like it allows the legs to just be very free, mm-hmm. but your back is able to be straight and your legs are able to be straight. So that cannot mm-hmm. be tucking. Because tucking involves bending of the knees and collapse of the back. Mm-hmm. So as long yeah. as the back... Yeah, that's, that's great. Yeah, I think it's, it's such such important point to make that uh, distinction between, you know, what tucking because, means and what that neutral position means. Right, because technically your spine is dropping straight. You're not bringing the spine mm-hmm. forward. You're dropping yeah. the spine and exactly. lifting up the pubic bone. And so it, it really is, it's, it's, a, it's more like a, yeah. It, and, and again, it's an, it's, for me, it's an energetic position, not a grabbed position it's something that right you have an image in your head and and whether you get it actually perfectly straight or not is not is inconsequential it's more mm-hmm. in the sense of feeling that drop mm-hmm. holding the top of the head feeling the drop and letting it go so that then the legs are free to drop down and forward and go forward mm-hmm. yeah do you have maybe you know uh for for people listening um who have never been exposed to this kind of 
uh, alignment work. Is there something that people could start playing around with, you know, without going into too much detail, which you can sort of verbally explain? Or, I mean, we can also do a separate conversation with demonstration at some point. Um, yeah, I, I, I would hesitant to say that I could demonstrate it because I think it's so different. And the mm -hmm. problem is if you've never felt it before, um, you have no point of reference. Right. right now you could yeah. what you could do what you could do is you could you could put, do the Pilates squat you know where you put your back against the wall uh -huh. and, and bend down at 90 degrees and then turn out mm -hmm. your leg and turn out your leg and turn mm -hmm. in your leg and turn your leg mm -hmm. and then maybe come up and keep your back straight mm -hmm. against the wall and do not grab your popo just mm -hmm. go down feel the spine dropping straight so you feel the spine very flat against the wall Come up and just let it stay and no tension, relax all the muscles in the back. Do not grab your butt. And then from there, just experiment by rotating just the hip socket without using any muscle. Mm -hmm. Just yeah, but that's, that's, but a, that's a great start. The, diff the difficulty is, is that most people have already assi assimilated rotation with lifting and hiking in the hip. Yes, yes. <laughs> And so that, so then that becomes very difficult. So the first step, is figuring out how to separate that hip movement inside the joint. So if you take your arm and you turned your arm in and out, you wouldn't be lifting up your shoulder to do that. It's very easy to just take your arm right. in and out. You yeah. have to find that in your leg as well. Uh -huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so one thing that I not notice when I watch you demonstrate in our lessons is that you're extremely good in, in the, on, you know, what you already mentioned, uh, separating the legs and the movement in the hip joints from the pelvis. Um, why um, is it so important to be, or for you especially, why is it so important to be so uncompromising uh, about this and, you know, to not give away anything? <laughs> well, because, well, Because uh, to be uncompromising, uh, I think because one realizes that actually ultimately, in a way, um, well, when I was, say for example, I'm doing Swan Lake or I'm doing something, in order for a movement to actually function properly, you begin to realize that it's all based on the rotation. So the minute, the minute you let, Like, for example, today, Mia was doing DD and that passing up. Mm -hmm. And I looked at her and I, I said to her, you are, when you're relevating up in the front of your hip, you're releasing your pelvis over top of the bone by one half an inch. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're talking, most people would never be able to see it. Mm -hmm. But you know what happens? You release it half an inch. And what do we see in the passing leg? We see about six inches difference. Mm. Right, so it compounds, right? The, the movement that's on top of that, yeah. So the thing is, is that it really is the difference. Somebody said, you know, to be good, you have to work hard. To be mm -hmm. very good, you have to work very hard. But to be the best, you have to be obsessed. Mm -hmm. the, the thing is that ultimately, of course, I mean, most people don't have to work that hard. Mm -hmm. But if you really want to achieve the highest level that the bot, your body can achieve, you have to be uncompromising. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. as, as Lynn, Lynn Seymour said, you're either, you either do it or you don't. You're mm -hmm. either rotated or you're not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the problem is, is that this is all a function of, 
of, and this is where the inner control, which sometimes creates magic, is because it's the two legs have to work equally mm-hmm. inside the body. And what happens yeah. is most people only worry about one leg mm-hmm. or worry about the other mm-hmm. leg. They don't worry about two legs. So, mm-hmm. and, and you're right. So sometimes it, it, it will limit things. But then I sit there and say, if you really have to whack your leg up, then you can let some things go. Mm-hmm. But if you are compromising and saying, no, I'm going to find this ability to function this way, all of a sudden you start to, it's like my, my teacher said, you know, Eva, it's like this. If you have a dress with polka dots or a dress with all, and you've got, no, say a white dress and you've got been splashed with mud all over it, nobody notices the mud really. Mm-hmm. But if you have a white dress and you've got one spot mm-hmm. of mud, that one spot becomes huge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and this is what it is, is that, you know, for me, this is the problem is that I watch people and I, it drives me crazy because mm-hmm. I can see immediately mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. half a heel and, mm-hmm. and it's not that it's bad, mm-hmm. but then I'll look at them and say, can you keep the heel forward and do that? And they'll do, I just don't understand, but put the effort in. Why not go all the way? Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, yeah. So mm-hmm. I think that's the thing, right? Is mm-hmm. that it's, uh, it's uncompromising because it either is right or it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I and like I, how you framed it as, you know, not in terms of what you want to achieve externally, but that it's a question, do you want to realize the full potential of what you have or not, basically? That's uh, really, that's really yeah. it. Yeah, and, um, and that's why I think it's you know, and I think that's the thing, right? Is that uh, sometimes you know, as I said, for example, at one point I was talking to a, a dancer, I said, "But if I work that way, I won't be able to jump." And I said, "No, you might lose this much jump, mm-hmm. but the jump will expand. Your legs will be better. Your line will be better. the The quality how you land will be better. Mm-hmm. The look of the jump, the softness of the jump. Mm. So you're going to yeah. gain." 18 different things in quality to lose. Yes, you might, you might go half, a, half an inch lower, mm-hmm. but half an inch is half an inch. Yeah. But the entire quality is like either down and you land mm-hmm. and there's no <laughs> bang and jump. Mm-hmm. Who cares if the leg is one, you're half an inch higher or that much, that much more split. Mm-hmm. It's not about, it's not about that. It's about how you move through space and how, and that, that counts how you take off the floor. Mm-hmm. How you, and how how then are you going to land? How does that translate into your shoulders, yeah. and your arms, and your head, and your, you know, you see how many people have you seen and get this with their face even right because mm-hmm. they're struggling so much, mm-hmm. and and it, yeah. it's it's all in the pursuit of, it. You know who my teacher told me this story about Eric Grun. He said he watched him one day, in a studio standing in fifth position, and he would release his knees and then double tour and land. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he would work on it for hours. Mm-hmm. And he asked him why. He said, because he said, I'm trying to sit there and say, if I stay in fifth position, what is the least amount of effort that I need or least amount of deviation that I need to be able to accomplish this movement? Mm-hmm. Because I, do I need to really stick my butt out? Do mm-hmm. I really need to turn in my knees? Do I need to release my fifth? And he literally did it from fifth position. His feet did not budge. Mm-hmm. He released his feet and he went 
And you can imagine what the quality of that looked like, mm-hmm. where it just was like sort of completely internal, mm-hmm. where the body just goes. Mm-hmm. You land, there's no sound. Mm-hmm. I mean, don't get me started about that. I mean, how many ballets have you been to where all you hear is the quarter ballet sounds like a herd of elephants? Nobody knows how to walk in point shoes anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think, but that's not it. Mm-hmm. Right? That's yeah. something else. And if it's in a contemporary ballet, I don't really care. But if you're doing Giselle, I don't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> doing Swan Lake, I don't want to hear it. Yeah. Doing Singing Beauty, I don't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to hear you walk in. I don't want to hear you walk off. I don't want to hear you clump. If you land in the jeté, okay, maybe there might be, but hopefully if you've jumped properly, the grand jeté, you won't hear it mm-hmm. very much. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's just, it's just how far do you want to go? So it's just yeah. like that. Like mm-hmm. people, do you want to get to the moon or not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now, you know, astronauts want to get to Mars. So guess what? They have to work. <laughs> what are, um, what are other things about technique or teaching technique where you believe something that's maybe different or opposite to common beliefs any favorite uh topic well i mean technically the hard part is this is i think there's a lot of people that that teach what i teach right Mm -hmm. i think i think the difference is is the perhaps the way in which i break it down and i try to explain it and that might be different Mm -hmm. i think i think most teachers are trying to achieve the same result mm-hmm. yeah. in the end. I think it's just to the degree to which a teacher, A, knows how to get to that level, mm-hmm. um, B, whether or, not they, whether or not a teacher feels that that level is important, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? And for me as a ballerina, I recognized how important working on that root and movement was Mm-hmm. because being a ballerina when you have to do these things on one little toe in the middle of people it's it's so important mm-hmm. because it makes a difference between good and excellent right so um i i think the one thing that just drives me crazy is that is is again ultimately that i don't i don't believe that i teach different things than other people mm-hmm. i think the way that I, my attention to detail mm-hmm. and the, the process, I think the fact that I understand how to hopefully take a body from this point to that point and help people understand what they need to know in order to move to the next step. And I think that mm-hmm. that's what's different. I think it's difficult for me when people come to me and say, oh my God, it's so different. And I say, well, Yes, it's different, but it's not really different. It's not really different. Okay. I'm, aiming for, I'm aiming for exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. I'm aiming for your body to be rotated. Mm-hmm. I'm aiming for you to use your feet, to be articulate with your feet. Mm-hmm. I'm aiming for you to have straight knees. Mm-hmm. I'm aiming for you to have calm shoulders. Mm-hmm. I'm aiming for you to find freedom. I'm aiming for you to transfer weight without, without turning in. Mm-hmm. So how is that different? But the, the way to get there mm-hmm. is instead of going around the tree on the right side, I'm going around the tree on the left side. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Can you and give I'm an expect- example for that? Um, you know, you, all, we, you always talk or often talk about creating pathways. Um, so maybe in that context, what does that mean to you? And well, I think it's you know, just look like. Well, I think first of all, the attention on the on the pelvic alignment, mm-hmm. but it really is that sense of, of, of telling people to stop gripping, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Just stop gripping, mm-hmm. and let's start to feel. Let's start to feel where we're actually rotating from, mm-hmm. because what I found is that ultimately. What's different about my approach is just the fact that I sit there and say, okay, so I need to take enough time that what I call the very small muscles can be engaged before you grab the big ones. Mm -hmm. So if you're sitting there and you're trying to grab your glute med and your glute max and you're trying to grab your thighs and you're trying to grab your feet, um, you're not going to find, it's like a frame that you stretch a canvas over for a painter. Mm-hmm. And if your frame isn't straight, don't even bother because the, the, the canvas is going to stay small. Mm-hmm. But if your frame is correct, then you can actually take and stretch the, the fabric over the frame. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens with your muscles. Mm-hmm. And then when your muscles work in that long, long stretched way, mm-hmm. you're going to use your muscles but they're, mm-hmm. not going to get, they're not going to be bunchy. It's not that yeah. you're not going to use your muscles, but they're going to be long. Mm-hmm. And then you're not going to get in the way of your joints functioning. Mm-hmm. So you get your joints functioning, then you can start to align your bones mm-hmm. one on top of another. And then you can understand where your center is. Mm-hmm. And then once you go to your center and you've aligned your bones and you're working, then when you move, you know where your center is going and you're moving always from one foot onto the next foot. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes easy. Mm-hmm. It's, not e- it's not easy. Simple. Mm-hmm. It's like, was it Hercule Poirot said the other day, somebody says, oh my God, this is, this is just getting, this case is getting so complicated. Mm-hmm. And he said, yes. And that means that usually the answer is very simple. Mm-hmm. And I thought, absolutely. So when you start working with this way, everybody says, oh, there's so much to think about. So I think, no. It's really just one thing. But you, it takes a lot of complicated thoughts and ideas and process and time and experimentation mm-hmm. to find. But that's what mastery is. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. why when I wanted to, somebody said, you know, something about ballet master is being someone who's dominant. I said, no, ballet master is a person who is supposed to have mastered the technique. Mm-hmm. There's supposed to be a wise person who has more knowledge. It is nothing about dominance. It's about sharing the wisdom and the knowledge. And that's why you are a ballet master. Mm-hmm. And that's why if you decide, it's the same thing with anything. If you want to be a master, you continue to study. Mm-hmm. And you work to find no compromise. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't tell the Dalai Lama that you can compromise in his understanding of, of what yeah. of enlightenment is, right? And you're either enlightened or you're not. Yeah. <laughs> but what do you have to do in order to become enlightened? You can't cut corners and mm-hmm. think you're going to be enlightened. Yeah. Right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So I, I, I feel that, that I think oftentimes what happens is that 
people come into a room expecting a quick fix or expecting something that's not going to challenge their thinking mm -hmm. or the same way that people go in to watch theater. They come in with an expectation that they're not going to be challenged, that they're not going to be uh, asked to behave in a different way. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think this is the thing. It's, it goes across all life things. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's a matter of, of understanding that in order to learn, one has to open one's mind mm -hmm. to, to experience. And when, when you come to that point of experimentation and then coming to realize that every day is asking yourself questions. It's like Hercule Poirot said to, said, to, uh, said to his friend Hastings, Hastings, you, haven't, you have no gray cells and your mind is large. <laughs> he said, you are lazy. And I, I chuckled at it and now I'm just talking to you. Being, but this is what is so fascinating about being a ballet dancer is that your brain, you have to be responsible for your own thought. And it isn't yeah, that's about, such an important thing. Yeah. You, you have to realize that no one is going to come and do the work for you. Mm -hmm. Someone is going to come and hand you things, hopefully, that you will sit there and say, okay, I'm going to take that and I'm going to work on it. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to let it spin and I'm going to find it. But that's, it's, and that's where teaching becomes gratifying because it's a give and take. Mm -hmm. It isn't just that you come and you yeah. suck from the teacher and do nothing with it. Mm -hmm. So if you go to the parable of the 10 talents, it's the same thing in the, in the Bible. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody will have a great talent and they'll have a great talent and they'll always have a great talent. But really what is more worthwhile is someone who has a lesser talent and does equally amount as a great talent with that amount because they've worked. Mm -hmm. They've taken that talent and created yeah. more. And, you know, and there's nothing wrong with having a great talent and just putting out that great talent and that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. But think of if that great talent would actually do something with that great talent. Mm -hmm. That's when that's when you get genius. Mm -hmm. That's when that collides, right? Mm -hmm. When someone takes their talents and does and takes that talent beyond. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, maybe an extension of that and, and also looping back a bit to the, to the beginning, I would like to come back to the, to the confidence issue. Um, and, you know, speaking from my own experience, but I also know many of my peers experience who started ballet at a very late age, there's always this shadow, um, of a late start and, you know, what you also said, constantly having that feeling of being behind and never being able to catch up. And, and, you know, also kind of a feeling of being less, you know, in, in, in many ways. Um, um, how did you personally overcome this? Um, and what advice would you give to someone like me uh, who started, you know, at a much later age than you? Um, you know, I think, you know, I, I think you have to look at it as a gift, first of all. Because I think that feeling of, of knowing that you're behind gives you permission to learn openly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think making yourself feel badly about it isn't a great idea. Mm -hmm. I think it's coming to acknowledge the fact that you're here, you're here for yourself, you want to learn. The biggest way that I think that you come over it is that you look at it and say, I live my life and then I die. 
-hmm. Somebody else beside me in the class might be a brilliant dancer. They live their life and then guess what? They die. Mm -hmm. The fact that they got somewhere sooner than me or ahead of me really makes no difference mm -hmm. whatsoever. My teacher said, Evelyn, it never matters when you get there. It's whether you get there. Mm -hmm. So that helped me a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think it's recognizing that each of us are on our own road, right? Mm -hmm. And we cannot compare ourselves to somebody else. One has to look at that and say, gosh, this is what I want to do. And if I want to learn ballet, then I'm going to learn ballet. But you have to also accept, if you look at a five-year-old or a seven-year-old or an eight-year-old, and they're kind of awkward and they're falling over, you kind of look and say, well, that's normal. They're eight. Mm -hmm. But why wouldn't it be normal if you're at the same place as an adult? True. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're learning. Yeah. And, it, and what is the shame in that? Mm -hmm. There's nothing, there's no shame in it. There's only admiration for the fact that you're coming and you want to learn. Mm -hmm. Like there's only admiration. And, and in the end, you know, it's like, it's a little bit like looking at somebody who, um, say for example, is trying to get their graduate degree and they go to, to university and then something happens, say their father dies or there's a big tragedy and their house burns down. And they have to for a year or two or three years, they can't get back to university. Mm -hmm. So then they finally come back at say 30, not 18, and they get their degree. Mm -hmm. Is there any difference between the person that has their degree at 18 as compared to the person that has their degree at 30? Mm -hmm. yeah. In the academic world, there is no, yeah. I look at Zaharava, I look at them, I never had those high extensions. I also know that when I danced, people cried, hopefully from a good reason. But, mm -hmm. but they, and so what I accomplished was different than what they accomplished. Mm -hmm. Does that take away? Sometimes in my mind, I feel mm -hmm. less, mm -hmm. but then I have to look at myself and say, that's stupid. Mm -hmm. That's just me beating myself up and me not accepting the fact that I am Evelyn Hart. And guess what? I knew as a young child that I never wanted to be anybody else. I wanted to be like somebody else. I wanted to be able to have achieve what somebody else achieved, mm -hmm. but, but I never wanted to be them. Mm -hmm. So if I can't achieve what somebody else has achieved, I still don't want to be them. Mm -hmm. I still want to be me. And I think it's the same. And you have to look at that and say, yeah, you start late, but you know, again, it's, it's, look at it as a challenge and say, gosh, well, here's my challenge. It's like an, an Olympic athlete sitting there and saying, they're all different ages. And they look and say, some of them say, gosh, I want to see if I can make it to the Olympics. Mm -hmm. And some of them are 15, like Penny, what's her face, that got the swimming medal. Mm -hmm. And some of them are like 38. And they're sitting there and saying, I want to see if at 38, I can get to the Olympics. Mm -hmm. Because it's a personal goal. Yeah. That's all mm -hmm. it is. It's a per and the hard thing about it now, you know, if you're competing with people and wanting to get a job, then it's a little different story mm -hmm. because then you've got a finite amount of time and you've got a finite thing. Mm -hmm. But you know, if you're starting late and you just want to create for yourself, there is no, there there's is no, no limits. Yeah. There's, there's no expiration no dates. Yeah. 
There's no expiration date. Yeah. And, and, and that's the point, right? And mm -hmm. if your body is in good shape and you're learning and you discover, you know, there may be limitations. For example, I have a limitation because I, I, I didn't start stretching till I was 14. So at 12, your ligaments are set. So mm -hmm. I was lucky I had a relatively flexible body still at 14 because I hadn't matured. But I still don't have the range inside some of my joints that I would have had had mm -hmm. I started earlier. Yeah. So I have to accept that. That's mm -hmm. a limitation. Okay. Mm -hmm. So then I, don't, I wasn't handed this, but how can I play the game with mm -hmm. the cards that I have? Yeah. And that's all it is. That's, yeah, that's a great focus to, to take. Yeah. To take it back to the, not from the less to the more actually. Yeah. And, and, and ultimately if the biggest question is, does it bring you joy? Yeah. <laughs> and if it doesn't bring you joy, yes. if it does, why should anybody tell you not to do it? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. What, um, in, you know, in that context, and that's, it's, you know, it's maybe one aspect of that. Um, I've also, I also have the experience and I'm wondering if that's, you know, different also from, from a ch child's experience when learning is sort of the fear in the moment of, of doing a step. So, you know, like a, you know, like for example, on point, and I know this is also a struggle that many, um, adults starters have, you know, that you I think it's also because you're progressing pretty fast. You're not in a structured program. So you're kind of jumping into drop-in settings. And sometimes, you know, the, the um, content of the classes are more than what you're able to do confidently. Uh, so you find yourself into a situation where you kind of have to overcome almost a technical fear in the moment. Um, what's your take on this? Like, should you step back in, in these moments and sort of regress? Um, or is there a way to find that confidence in the moment when you actually know, you know, your body has it and nothing, you know, you may fall, but nothing can happen. Well, because I think that's the body instinctively is sitting there and saying, this is a new feeling. And I, my body is telling me I'm going to hurt myself. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. So you need to step back mm -hmm. and you need to go through the steps, the steps up to it slowly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if it's like a pirouette, you have to sit there and say, okay, so if the beginning of the pirouette is getting onto my foot, onto point into a passe, I need to practice that mm -hmm. until I am very secure that I'm not losing my rotation. Mm -hmm. Right? Because The whole point of that is the pirouette isn't scary. It's the releve up and down. And the problem is why it's scary is because when you're getting up into that releve, you're probably not in the right position because mm -hmm. your pelvis is probably back mm -hmm. because you haven't figured out how to do the releve through the foot up. Mm -hmm. So there's a logical reason why you're going to fall because you are going to fall. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So listen to that fear and mm -hmm. sit there and say, well, there's a reason mm -hmm. because it means that I don't understand the basic steps into the releve mm -hmm. to come back down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So stop, go back, break it down. Say to yourself, okay, here's a pirouette. What is a pirouette? Mm -hmm. Then go up and say it's a pirouette. Then do a quarter turn. Mm -hmm. Then go and do a quarter turn. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. then go, and then go and do a half turn. Yeah. 
do other things like do a PK, a PK passe, and a PK passe half turn. Mm-hmm. PK mm-hmm. passe, passe half turn. PK mm-hmm. passe till you get the feeling of turning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then do just a single PK with a full turn and mm-hmm. see what that feels. Mm-hmm. Then put your foot down and try to have the same feeling with a single rabbit with no force. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's when you throw yourself into things with 10 times way too much force. Of course, you're going to be terrified. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. That makes sense? Yeah, makes sense yeah to totally. Me. No, and I mean, you know, that's, I think that's the challenge that, you know, like when you're in a drop-in class setting and you're in a situation where the exercise is maybe a bit beyond your skill level, is, you know, then to have the courage and say, I'm either I'm going to modify or I'm just going to mark and kind of break it down for myself after class and between classes at home. Um, because, you know, that takes kind of more organizing in, in your brain and, and also, of course, more time that you have to put in outside of well, classes. Because, because this is why they have levels, right? And that's why you learn point work very slowly. Yeah, only that as an adult starters, it often doesn't work that way because you don't have point, for example, point classes on different levels, right? And, and, that, and, and that's, and that's the tricky part. Or even if there are levels, they can be, you know, quite uh, a bit muddy, like between levels. Um, so you might encounter, you know, teachers who teach a certain level a bit more difficult or less difficult and depending on what people are in, in the class. So I think that's the kind of the additional challenge when you compare it to a more structured approach that, that children maybe go through. Well, and I think what you have to realize is that you have to go back and you have to start at the beginning with your point shoes, right? To yeah. think that you can put on a pair of point shoes and just dance is you, because it all starts from the relevé. Right? Yeah. It all starts from knowing how to relevate and how to come, how to get the same way. It all starts from getting in another fifth. It all yeah. starts. How do I get up? How do I get down? Because yeah. if you cannot go from point to demi point, mm-hmm. you're always going to be frightened because you're yeah. going to fall point. Yeah. So yeah. you have to know how do I press up through my demi point? How mm-hmm. do I press down through my demi point? Mm-hmm. Because technically the only difference between demi point and point is your toes. Mm-hmm. So if you know that you're up on point and you just bail and put your dummy point down, you're, you're always going to be on balance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if you go up and you go push over your point shoe, then you're getting into da- dangerous territory mm-hmm. because yeah. that is risky, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So maybe what you need to do is find, take some time with someone mm-hmm. um, and, and just have point work explained. And when you no, feel that, like that's that's true, and you know, I, I that applies to many other settings. It doesn't have to apply only to point work, but you know, even just on, on demi point work. And uh, but I think it's it's important to 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 have that thought process. You know, that you can't just go into a studio and start taking classes, but there has to be a certain structure idea of how to approach it. I, I was wondering maybe we that's that's the kind of the question to wrap this up with um like if you know if someone let's say someone like me i started ballet at age 37 uh, so let's say i came to you before i had my first class and you would have to sort of do a let's say a quick back of the envelope uh, curriculum for the first years what would be the things to you would kind of list for me And, you know, you can elaborate or just go through it quickly. It's, it's, you know, but, to but you. I think you'd be surprised. Um, 
because I think if I just started, started with each movement, so we, we would talk about plie and how you, how you function plie. We mm -hmm. talk about tendu. We talk about degage. We mm -hmm. then talk about rangeon. We would go through each exercise at the bar. And then once we get through all those exercises and you understand physically the path, pathways, which would likely, it would probably take me less time with Mia had she started with no ballet at 37 than if I got her when she was 13. Oh, okay. Because, Interesting. because, because already so many things were in there that were so badly understood. Right. So, so it's the taken, unlearning takes time. And, and that's the what unlearning, I'm experiencing now. Yeah. The unlearning takes so much time. So mm -hmm. I would just really go through each exercise, uh -huh. understanding where your body is, what the placement is, what the purpose of them are. Then you mm -hmm. go into the center and you'd start sitting there and trying to relate each exercise in the center. How does this relate to what I've done at the bar? Because mm -hmm. everything you do is just a mishmash of all the exercises you do at the bar. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's nothing you do in the center that isn't uh, amalgamation of all the movements that you do at the bar, mm -hmm. everything. Yeah. So you realize, gosh, once you've gotten all the movements at the bar, you should be able to do everything in the center. Yeah. And, and when, you, when, you, when you talk about, you know, like going through the exercise at the bar, that means, you know, like we've done uh, in some of the lessons, spending two hours on a tendu. So it's not just kind of doing it. It's really uh, going through every detail of it and well, because, um, because you have to understand what the exercise is physically but also why what yeah. is that just doing for you but I didn't understand that till I was 30 because mm -hmm. I would just like when I learned ballet I just copied yeah and so yeah. I learned that it taught me most of us start yeah mm -hmm. and and I had no idea that there was a purpose to doing a tondu And why, if you lift a tondu up higher, it's not doing you any good because that's not the purpose of a tondu. Mm -hmm. The purpose of a tondu is this kind of sense of, of giving yourself this energy through your body that goes in two different directions. One goes up and one goes down. So you've got this opposition of energy going through your body. And that's what it's not about lifting your leg off the floor. It's mm -hmm. about an inner energy. But if you don't understand what the movement is, you can't come to, to understand that. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's, that's why it's so complicated, but at a certain level, it becomes so simple. Mm -hmm. And that's what it's so glorious, right? Ballet is so glorious. You go, Oh my God. And when you actually feel, which I don't feel that much anymore, but when you actually feel yourself in the, it, it just, your, your joints flow with no obstacle. Mm -hmm. It's, it's like, such a well-oiled machine mm -hmm. and it's just it, there's nothing better so that's also you once said in, in one of our lessons that um everybody's born to dance and you know i was kind of um contemplating that and whether we're all born to dance ballet but when you understand it as that as you know creating movement in the way that frees up versus um you know creates certain shapes with tensions Uh, it becomes a it, it gets a more natural quality to something that may feel alien at first to the body. Yeah, I mean, I have to I have to say, you know, there is a certain amount of ta physical talent. In other words, a certain body type 
that will allow for you to create better shapes mm -hmm. and forms and will be much easier. And that's why yeah. I said you're going to dance because you have those legs, you have those mm -hmm. feet, you have those proportions, right? Mm -hmm. And there are people that don't have the same proportions and the same legs and feet, but it doesn't mean they can't dance. Yes. Yeah, in a way that's enjoyable and, and injury-free, yeah. Um, thank you so much for your time. And, um, you know, like this went actually longer than, uh, than you said. So thank you so much for taking that time and, and giving us all that gold. Um, maybe we'll have a round two, hopefully. And, um, <laughs> cool. um, and I'm really excited to putting this out. And thanks again so much. Yeah, my pleasure, Patricia. As always, back to the bar. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Okay. Bye, lovey. All right, talk to you Bye. soon. Bye. Bye.